0: Hi, hey, I'm mm. Willie Miller. Hi, I'm Senko. I'm Kevin Mac. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mackie. Hi, it's Grant Hackett. Hi, I'm Sharif Green from the Wallery. I'm Azuma Nelson. I'm Kashin, and you're listening to Not the Footy
1: yes. Show. Yes, you are indeed listening to another podcast of Not the Footy Show, and as usual, we've got a great guest lined up with you, lined up for you rather, uh, someone who's been on the show before, and that is power lifter Ben Wright. Well, I'm Ashley Morrison. I'm John Lay. John, good to be back and great to catch up with Ben. And the reason I wanted to catch up with him is if you remember a couple of shows ago, I said how he'd been upgraded his Commonwealth Games fourth place to a bronze medal. And I was just intrigued as to how they get the medal to him. Does he have a ceremony? how it all works. So I thought, well, let's have a chat with him about it. And also, obviously, he's trying to qualify for the Paris Paralympics.
2: Well, obviously, they'll have to have the cross back to the studio in Sydney (laughs) so that all the experts can talk about his wonderful effort as well. (laughs) Well, you reckon they'll get them in the studio for that? Well, they should.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. When when we hear from Ben, you'll hear how it all works. And, uh, yeah, it's. I thought it was quite interesting to hear anyway. Who's going to start? I am. Okay.
2: Because it has been a while.
1: Yeah, it has. I've been away a bit.
2: (laughs) Yes. Um, We've had two World Cups.
1: We have. And both have probably gone through a really, really long period until we got to the final.
2: And it was kind of predictable, the two teams in the finals. Oh, yeah. I I, I think it's not often the... the teams that get into a final are a surprise. Correct. Uh, we we know who the best teams are. So, you know, it, it, a lot of people were thinking England would have got there. Um, South Africa could very easily have got. You know, yeah, th- I thought like... South
1: Africa and New Zealand were the two I would have picked. I didn't. I thought England picked an old side. Joss Butler. I personally don't think he's a great captain. Uh, although I see they've cut players now for the series against the West well, they, Indies, but Butler has stayed as captain.
2: They like cut players during the tournament too. I'm sure that didn't help them.
1: Yeah. Um, that whole central... But I must admit, it was the first probably them. cricket World Cup where I didn't want either of the teams in the final to win.
2: Oh, boo!
1: Sorry? No, I, I just, oh. I just find both of them, I think they're doing cricket a massive disservice by the way they behave. They constantly play each other and it's become a cartel... So I just don't like what they've oh, done yeah, to the game I, and hijacked
2: it. I thought the Australians were pretty good during this tournament.
1: I, I think in the end they played superbly. I won't take that away from them. Yeah. Although
2: but they know how to play tournament sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all right to lose to India and South Africa in the first two games because everybody's going to lose to them. <laughs> it's, it's, you don't want to lose to the the other teams yeah. that they're beating. That's a, the way to go about it. Once you're in the finals, anything can happen. As was just proved. Anyway, what was your thing with the World Cups? Well, the Rugby World Cup. Had the, is, there a, is there a problem with refereeing in rugby? Because it seems to be the big talking point that came out of the Rugby World Cup was refereeing.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I think it's, it's again, this uh video situation in that I don't think they've got it right yet. And to me... Going back four phases to try and look at something. If you've let it go four phases, it's gone. To me. If it's happened in the last phase, fair enough. But, and I also think you, you don't really need the video referee to be then talking to the guy while play's gone on and then pulling them back for something. Unless it was like a punch in the head behind play. That's slightly different. But I think, I think what they've got to go back to is that the referee then asks the person up there to check not having it the other way around I think that's where the problems are occurring and there seems to obviously be a big issue about the high tackles and what you know how that's interpreted because you know the New Zealanders are going to say well how come South Africa got away with it now guy got a red card which you know to be fair to the New Zealanders as they showed with the Cricket World Cup the last one um, they are incredibly good when they lose and they don't whinge and they tend to take it on the chin. Uh, they'll have a bit of a moan very briefly and then move on. And I think that's a credit to them, but we'll talk about that. In a yeah. <laughs> okay. But look, I do think there's a problem. I think there's a problem in a lot of the sports. And I actually wonder in some sports now whether the video officials are actually influencing the outcome of games rather than being there to make sure that you get the decisions right.
2: It's a tough one because, um, you know that it's there. If you if it gets seen and and something's not done about it, pundits play it over and over again. Fans meme it up like nothing on earth. So in some ways, authorities are caught between a rock and a hard place. Exactly how far do we do we go with this strict interpretation of the rules? Because it, that's what. <laughs> wait till they have AI doing umpiring. Oh, and that's not going to be too far away, mate, because they will be able to use video, and they'll be start picking up stuff off video, and you will have to argue, oh well, it's a breach of the rule, so it must be a. Well, if you, if, you look, if you look, ball really tracking
1: and, and stuff like that is AI, really, in that it's a computer program that's trying to reenact the path of the ball and all of that. So it's already there, and I think those moments, especially in a sport like cricket, as I've written on, on the blog with LBW decisions, are not correct. And you're seeing that more and more now. People are beginning to look at them and go, hang on a second, that can't be right, you know?
2: Oh, there was quite a few in this last one. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But is it when you're referring to drawing? You know, going how many uh, phases of play do we go through? To but it's a time that they actually adjusted the advantage rule as well. The advantage law is is that is that something because you have rugby has this um, legacy of play just being able to go on and on and on and on and on, and sometimes the advantage is just. It, it, it's not, it's more than advantage. It's actually almost giving them a free hit at it. it uh, you know, how, how, should they re-examine maybe tightening up the advantage rule a little bit? Oh, look, I,
1: I think that would not be a bad idea. You know, I think it, it's, if you look at it in all sports, the advantage rule is a funny one, isn't it? I mean, because sometimes it's umpires or referees will give you a little bit more leeway than another one will. And there's times where I've seen it enforced, and you go, "Wow, that was a really good advantage played." But then you'll see others where it's pulled up, and you know players are going, ballistic there was there were a couple when we were doing the Salt the Johor Cup where the umpires blew as players were breaking forward, and then called back for a free hit, and the game. I mean, there was one I remember South Africa were had two on one and got pulled back, you know, and when goals had been really hard for them to score, yeah, they were devastated by it.
2: And look, as an umpire. I, I can understand how yeah, that's not happens. an easy job. Yeah. yeah. But every now and then you see one, you say, oh, you should have just let him go. Yeah. You and should have it. just let him go. Yeah. And it's, sometimes even when you are umpiring, that happens. You, and I've done it when I've, years ago when I was doing umpiring, Blowing the whistle, and the guy goes, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, mate, I know, I, but I the, the physical motion, the brain was working too fast. It, I just blew it.
1: But, but it's like, you know, we've talked about this before and the one in cricket that gets me is like Snicko. Like, I I don't like that because the, the laws of the game and I've, I've actually looked, they no longer, I don't think say that, say it, but it used to be, it was nothing to do with sound. Like, the umpire could be deaf because it was to go on what he saw, whether he sees the ball take the edge and there's a deflection. So I don't like Snicko because again, I think, ah, come on, you know, did the ball touch the edge, but I understand why it's there but personally i don 't like it
2: okay uh, is world rugby better placed after this World Cup than it was before i e was the tournament a success in being okay, you got two win a couple of the top teams win it what a surprise, but the rest of the tournament did it embrace
1: i think I think the rugby was pretty good i didn't get to see as much as I would have liked. I have to admit because I was overseas or working or you know just couldn't kind of get access to it but i think overall it was a good tournament but i think rugby has walked away and they are doing a big investigation because they realize that they have a lot of issues that they need to sort out because i think they're keeping their fans that are already there but i think they are now struggling to grow a new fan base because of the issues that they have
2: and um in terms much, of
1: the way, you know, the game is seen.
2: How much better does a Pacific Island team have to be than a European team for the referees to give them credit?
1: <laughs> oh, look, you know, we've banged on about that one for a long time. I mean, it, see, again, I, I wonder, we see with various competitions, like in America and in Australia, we have the salary caps. And I just wonder whether you, if you want parity at international level, whether you have to turn around and say, you may only spend this on your national team.
2: Ooh. Getting into strain of trade areas. Yeah, it's, but or, this is the problem though, but what you've is got. That, so is that meaning that a guy who's playing for Fiji, who plays a a, rug, a rugby test for Fiji or a rugby world cup game, We'll get paid the same as a a Fiji, and will get paid the same as, say, a Frenchman that they're playing against. I'm I'm not actually talking.
1: talking I'm not talking about the wages. I'm actually talking about their investment in their programs. So the wages, I think, could be a separate issue. But so what? what, Because what we're seeing is, you know, there was a prime example of the Rugby World Cup over here. You know how um, there were players that were playing for the island nations whose professional clubs in Europe would not release them for the World Cup, whereas England had an injury cloud over their scrum halves. They flew another one out, business class, you know, as a replacement. Now, the Fijians or the Tongans wouldn't have been able to afford that, where they couldn't even get their own players released from clubs in Europe. So that is now actually a better thing now, where those players are released and must be released for international duty. So that's been kind of amended, but... I do think that, you know, when you look, and, and there's other areas where you look at it with the Paralympics, where, again, the investment in the technology that some countries have for their athletes, and then they're coming up against athletes from poorer nations who've not had that investment in their equipment. To me, in something like the Paralympics, everybody should be given exactly the same equipment to compete. So then we do find out who is the best. Rather than, you know, one program has got more money, so therefore they're able to do this. And that's where it, people are saying, well, it's all about getting percentages. But if you want a level playing field, then you've got to look at these well, things.
2: Well, you know what the better off nations are going to say? You're a socialist, Morrison.
1: Oh, look, it wouldn't <laughs> be the first time someone said that. But you are the one who asked the question.
2: No, you know? quite taken.
1: I mean, my, my view, so again, and I've said this with football now, with, with world travel, is I don't like and especially now they've expanded the World Cup, I don't think we should be going, and I understand it's a commercial reason that they're doing it, where we go for confederation qualifications. If it's a true World Cup, to me, I want to see the best 32 or the best 48 teams competing. So therefore, the qualifiers, I think you should seed all the nations, and you do do a draw for the whole world. So it's no longer about... Just the best from Europe or the best from Africa or the best from Asia.
2: Let's have the best. Do you think there's a place similar to what hockey does where the, there's one spot. Every confederation gets one spot so that for, for your confederation championships, there's something on the line at the end of it. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I think then, that is
1: a better model, but I don't like Oceania. I think Oceania is a waste of time. Oh
2: yeah. Well, we've had that conversation yeah. and it, it, what do you do with Australia? Because Asia doesn't want to take us.
1: No, I, well, I, I mean the the thing I I remember writing something about this years ago um, when set bladder with with Oceania and football <laughs> is that I think Oceania and I think this would benefit Oceania is if Oceania became a subdivision of Asia. So Oceania. Uh, or the, like they C grade
2: or something. Uh, yeah,
1: it's it's like a second division, and then you play qualify to go into the Asian pools. So then, what you would do is rather than giving Asian one qualification spot, you give them two because there's the Oceania one, and it's a bigger pool. But what that would do, I think, is give those Oceania nations then could then participate in things like the Asian Games. They could participate also in the uh, Asian Indoor Martial Arts Games. They would then get more competition. Because one of the problems they have at the moment is they just don't get enough games.
2: And when you think about it, you know, it would be, they very easy be playing nations like the Philippines.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Who,
2: let's face it, aren't strong up on the rankings, but, you know. Yeah, they're
1: not going to be the strongest in Asia, but that, will, that will help all absolutely. of those nations improve. And that's, absolutely. that's where I think you need to look at doing something like that.
2: Okay. Cricket World Cup.
1: What let's about it? Let's
2: turn our attention to it. Um, The the moment Australia beat South Africa in that semi-final, I knew they were going to win. There was, it was so perfectly set up for Australia to win that game. Um, well done to the team. Well done to Pat Cummins. Uh, I I don't believe that um, Pat Cummins should now be awarded a Rhodes Scholarship and a Nobel laureate because he batted, he, he bowled first. Considering that for the last week we've been hearing nothing but scoring records for, of Fat Ground that pointed out that teams batting first lost four wickets on average in the power play and yeah. teams, like, it, it was a pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I know the rule in cricket is you bat first and you, that would be there. Do we bat first? Hmm, let's look at the figures here. No, I think we might have a bowl. Yeah. You know, um,
1: the did Indian. you see the stuff, though, about the crowd all leaving during the presentation? And there was an article in India saying, well, if this had been held in a cricketing state, like, you know, uh, I can't remember some of the states, but if it had been held in a city like Delhi, Mumbai, yeah, right. then okay. Chennai, the people fans would have stayed. No, oh, they right. wouldn't. Mm, okay.
2: No. <laughs> yeah. And, and quite frankly, what did you expect? It's an Indian crowd. And that's yeah. not a sledge on Indian crowds. It that's what they do, and,
1: and let's be honest: world crowds now are leaving before these oh, ceremonies yeah, they because do. they've seen them all and they don't want to hear the speeches. And yeah,
2: I was interested in that stuff about booing the umpires, especially from Australian journalists, given that the national pastime here in Australia is booing umpires. Um, name me the last time you went to a sporting event in this country where the umpires didn't get booed. Yeah, at I've, some stage. Yeah. <laughs> so that was all a bit too much. Um, But uh, there was some good cricket played, and I thought there was some really good games. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I mean, I, I still, I was pleased because I prefer the one-day game format, and I would like to see it survive.
2: Far superior to T Twenty.
1: Yeah, it's proper. The ebbs and the
2: flows, and the tactics, and the
1: so from that perspective, I was really happy with the way it went because I think it revitalised that, and hopefully we'll see more one-day as in less T Twenty. No, that don't have me. That's, that's I that said hope, hope.
0: Here. Hi, it's Grant Hackett here. You're listening to Not the Footy Show.
2: Well, as I mentioned,
1: our guest on this podcast is an old friend of ours and the reason we're catching up with him is because he found out recently that his fourth place at the Commonwealth Games in paralifting has been promoted to a bronze medal and I wanted to hear how he gets his hands on that bronze medal, whether there's a ceremony and also we wanted to hear how he's going with qualification for Paris 2024. Our guest is Ben Wright. Ben Wright, welcome back to Not The Footy Show.
0: Yeah, thanks very much for having me again. I feel very privileged to be on uh, for a second time. Well, I was
1: thinking it's the first time we haven't had you and, and Nang on together, I think, because uh, he was always your training buddy and competing buddy, but he's now switched to badminton.
0: Yeah, very true, yes. So it, it was always the, the dung beetles as a as a package, but um, yes, that's correct. He's he's given up the weights and, and he's off um, playing badminton. Um, and doing, doing fairly well,
1: it seems. No, it does indeed. But uh, I wanted to catch up with you. We mentioned you, I think, a couple of podcasts ago because I saw the news come through that from the Commonwealth Games, um, you'd been elevated now because the gold medalist tests positive to a banned substance. So you've been elevated from fourth to third. And to be honest, I've actually never met anyone who's had to go through that where you've got a bronze medal, but you've been robbed of the opportunity to actually receive it in front of your fans, your family and all the crowd. I mean, how did it feel when you got the news?
0: Uh, well, when I first got told, um I was I was a little bit in disbelief. So I I kind of um found out through back channel, so um my mate Mickey Yule from Scotland. So he he was the original bronze medalist. Um and he hit me up over social media. Um and he's just like, "Have you, have you heard the news?" And I was like, D- don't tell me you're coming out of retirement. Like, that's, that's the last thing that, that my career needs. Um, and he's like, he's like, no, Tom Games. like, you're a bronze medalist. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? You're, you're obviously the bronze medalist. I, I was there on the day. I, I, I saw that. And he's like, no, um, India, they got popped. Um, the, the final decision is just being um, talked about now it's going be it's gonna be released on the weekend um, you need to have a chat to your people um, so I finished that conversation and it was it was I think like 11 o'clock at night and I'm sending an email to Paralympics Australia being like hey guys I know this sounds crazy but I've just heard this can you can you chase it up for me um, and then um, I didn't hear anything first thing in the morning cause they're, they're over east. So I thought maybe when I wake up, I'd, I'd have something to read, but didn't hear anything. And then, um, it was probably about mid morning, um, my phone rang and, um, it wasn't a number I recognized, but I, I picked up and, um, yeah, it was, uh, Kate McLaughlin, the, the chef de mission, um, calling me to, to say, yeah, that what I'd heard was that in fact, correct. And, um, that I'd get a phone call in the next um, couple of days asking for some comments, um, and the the official press release would go out on the weekend. And um, so yeah, it was just kind of um, a bit of a bit of shock and disbelief um, in the beginning, but then the official press release came out, and it kind of started dawning on me what what that actually meant. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool. Uh, so I, I I do understand. Um, what you mean about not not getting that podium experience. Um, but I've been told that uh, when they actually get my medal to me, they're going to put on a little ceremony, which um, for me is fantastic because one of the things about powerlifting is uh, my my family very rarely get to see me compete. Uh, I'm always either competing over East or competing internationally, and so they don't get to, to come along and see that. Um, but if I get to have... A medal presentation ceremony that's going to be local i get to invite all of those people that have been supporting me and following my career over the last decade and and they get to be a part of that which which i think is fantastic and i think will make it very special
1: no it will indeed because i was actually going to ask you have you got your medal and i'm surely they don't just put it in the post and go here you go ben congratulations i'm glad to hear they actually have some ceremony and it's done properly
0: Yes, yeah, so that's that's what I've been informed. So my understanding is that they, they have to get the gold off of India, get the bronze off uh, bronze off Scotland and the silver off um, Nigeria, and and do the little switcheroo, and then the bronze will make its way over to me, and then yet yeah, the, the, I've been told that they'll they'll put on some some form of ceremony. So I'm I'm just waiting to hear back, and I hope I hear you soon because it honestly it's every couple of days. I'm, I'm getting hit up by someone I know like whether it's someone at work or just someone in the family. i like, have got your medal? Can I see your medal? Can I see your medal? So at this point it's just like as soon as I know, I, I will let you all know.
1: <laughs> well at least you know who's got the bronze so you can get that off him but I'm sure he's not handing that over till he gets the silver.
0: <laughs> oh, 100% and, and unfortunately um, he, he retired after um, Birmingham and so I'm not. it's not like I can just cost him at, at the <laughs> next competition be like mate where's my medal <laughs> so yeah i've've I've got to wait through wait wait for the whole official process which is it's this whole thing has been so apparently the the test came positive um a while ago but there's just this whole process that they go through and and they have a tribunal and um, both sides get to present their their evidence and their story and um so that that took basically twelve months to to get through that process until that decision was was finally um made public it must be
1: extra special i think for you because if i remember right it was darren gardner who got you into powerlifting or certainly was one of the ones that really encouraged you in the early days and if i'm right and i hope i am but i think he was the last australian to win a commonwealth games uh powerlifting medal in 2006
0: is that right Yeah, that's correct. And so, um, and this also means that, uh, Kashani, our, um, our female lifter, she actually got her bronze at the event. And so, yeah, this is now, um, joint two, two medals, um, at a Commonwealth Games, which, yeah, is the first time that's happened uh, since 2006. And so, um, it's fantastic to get Australia back on the, on the podium, um, at a Commonwealth Games. And we're both, Looking forward to getting Australian back on the platform in Paris because it's again, it's been, I think, um, London was the last time that we had someone at a, actually it might even be before London, might have been Beijing was the last time that we had a power powerlifter for Australia, um, representing at a, at a Paralympic game. So we're both very keen to, um, to, to make that and, and represent Australia and, um, if we do well enough, hopefully return funding to the program so we can, um, so we can work on, on, on this good work that has been done um, in, in getting people further in their careers and, and yeah, hopefully restore Australia's name in, in the para community. It would be fantastic.
1: Well, I wanted to touch on that because I think that was one of the last times we spoke was when your funding was cut. And it was all part of that Winning Edge program. And it was, and we had the discussion, and I've actually repeated it to many people, how it was ridiculous in your sport because it's not something where you achieve in weightlifting in a four-year period. You don't get to the top in four years. It takes far longer. And I think the great thing is now that you've got this medal and you've justified the argument that you said when the funding was cut because you're proving that now you are in the top ten in the world. And it does take time.
0: Well, that's it. Like, it, it has literally taken me 12 years to put a 100 kilos on the bench. So um, I, I started lifting 12 years ago. My first domestic competition, I pressed 92.5 kilos. Um, and then on the 12-year anniversary of that, I did a training session where I pressed 192.5. And, and so it, is, it has literally taken that long to put that much on the bar um, and it does when when you're doing this when you're doing this unassisted and drug free, um, progress is slow, um, and it is about that um, consistency, just just showing up, putting in the work, um, and then over time you you will see results. Um, yeah, I I am proof of that, and it's it's fantastic because in that's what I've been that's what I was told in the beginning, and and that's what I've been telling myself that like this is this is a long game, this is a long game, you've got to play the long game. And then um, <clears throat> after the 2018, um, Com- well, before the 2018 Commonwealth Games, I had um, a seizure that actually broke my back in in four places. Um, and so when I competed 10 weeks later at that Commonwealth Games, um, I, I didn't compete anywhere near what I was hoping. Um, and so the last few years have, have been very much... A, uh, just, just thinking to myself, like, have, have, have I been correct or, or maybe, maybe I'm just not good at this. Maybe, maybe I'm just not meant to be good at this. Maybe I'm just one of the guys that shows up, um, at the domestic comps, makes up numbers, like, puts up an okay lift, but my, my contribution is just pushing, pushing everyone further. So yeah, it, it, was very nice um, to have a good showing at Worlds. So I competed at Worlds just before I found out about the medal, finished in the top 10 at Worlds, um, and then that moved me up into the ninth position in the Paralympic rankings. And then just a few weeks after Worlds to, to be notified that I'm actually a Commonwealth bronze medalist um, was a fantastic little confidence boost. And, and so that's been kind of spurring me on ever since. No,
1: fantastic. Well, I believe for, the, for Paris, you have to be in the top eight to get automatic qualification. And that's in, in terms of your lift weights. Um, and you're sitting in eighth at the moment, isn't that correct? So you're in that nervous place at the moment.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's correct. So um, our, our Paralympic pathway is, is quite convoluted. So we've got the, the four year Paralympic cycle and we have to compete at a sanctioned international competition every single year in that cycle. When there's a world champs that um, pops up, which is there's usually two of them in a Paralympic cycle, um, that is a compulsory event. So you have to go to world champs. And then at the end of all of that, you have to uh, finish in the top eight for an automatic selection. And so, yeah, I competed uh, two weekends ago. I was in Wollongong and, and what I lifted was enough to get me into that. Um, that top eight spot, but our, our Paralympic qualification period doesn't end until the end of June. So um, I'm currently trying to get stronger now so then I can jump up a few more spots and so then I, I don't have to worry about getting moved out of that top eight position. Um, that, that, that will be someone else's problem. So that that, that is the game plan currently.
1: Well, Wollongong, I believe, was, was actually full of drama for you, wasn't it? Because it didn't quite go as well as planned. But then you, you, we just heard about how hard you've been on yourself in the past. But, I mean, you were pretty hard because you did break a national record there, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Wollongong did not go how I'd planned. Uh, I'd, I'd been checking my weight all week and I was sitting around uh, 89 kilos. And, and so I compete in the under 88 kilo class. So I just have to be... 88 or under, and then I'm good. And so being one kilo over is usually perfectly fine because um, I drink like two to three litres of water a day. So water manipulation for a kilo is is fine. Um, and then I jumped on the plane Thursday night, um, didn't worry, didn't didn't look at my weight, um, and then it came Saturday morning, which was comp morning, um, and uh, weigh-in starts at 1 p.m., and it's 7.30 in the morning, and I'm jumping on the scales and I was uh, 89.9, so I had um, a, 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 almost two kilos to be losing um, before I weighed in five and a half hours. So um, it was uh, hot baths, uh, wearing uh, incredibly hot tracksuits um, on my way to the venue. Um, spent about 50 minutes in a sauna, um, and then by the time I'd weighed in, so I, I ended up weighing in at eighty-seven point eight. So I, I got there in the end, but by the time I'd weighed in, I had uh, thirty minutes to warm up before the start of the event, and so um, I was I was dehydrated, I was exhausted, um, the the stress levels were were at an all-time high, um, and so uh, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to get to lift how I had envisioned. I was hoping that I would get to to press 200 at this event, but um, uh, I I failed my third lift. But, yes, as as you said, objectively I I did well, so I got a seven-kilo platform PB, a new Australian record, and and moved up into that eighth position in the ranking. So, um, objectively I did well, but just um, I didn't meet my expectations, and so um, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed.
1: So what, what are the plans for you now moving forward? Because you said, obviously, qualifying doesn't finish till the end of June. That's at the moment when we're talking now sort of seven months away. Are you going yeah. to a couple of competitions to try and get that weight, or is it waiting to see how you go kind of thing?
0: Yeah, no, so um, as part of the pathway, we have two international comps that we have to compete in next year before the end of the period. Yeah. And so we have chosen to go to Thailand in April. Just because that, that's the close one and, and being a self-funded sport, that, that's the most economical one to get to. Um, and then we've actually chosen, um, uh, quite an expensive one for our final one and that will be Manchester. And that's because that's the last competition, um, in the calendar. And so it gives us that whole entire time to make sure that we're prepared to put forward a lift that is going to get us qualification. So, so those are the two the two big events for next year, no, was, uh, and then hopefully Paris afterwards.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that makes sense that you would be leaving it, but I would think there's quite a few people are going to be looking at that Manchester event with exactly the same thought process as yourself.
0: Yeah, 100%, and so it's going to be um, until the end of June just checking the rankings, updating my spreadsheet that I've put together, kind of calculating what I'm going to need to do um To get there, whether it's, whether it's, I just need to get a little bit stronger, whether I need to undercut some weight and, and move positions that way. So yeah, it'll be a lot of strategy, um, and a lot of training and just, um, I imagine I will just be all up in my head the entire time and until I get that little, that little bit of buffer to be able to, to relax a little bit.
1: And how many people do you have supporting you in terms of like coaching you and making sure that your head is in the right space and helping you decide whether it is the strength you need or, or, you know, what it is that's going to get you those extra couple of kilos?
0: Yes, I'm, I'm very fortunate. So I, uh, on, on the worrying about end competition side, I have, um, a men's group called the Fraternity of the Travelling Trousers and they are just a men's group that started up as like a footy tipping competition. Um, but over the last 10 years that they've been supporting me, um, they, they have just grown and, and they support other athletes now. So that they, they provide me with a little bit of funding. And so then that takes my mind off of having to worry about, can I get to these events? And then also I've been lucky enough to be, um, uh, a waste athlete for a number of years now. So I've got a team there, um, from dietitians to sports sites, um, to doctors that I get to, um, chat with and, and kind of come up with ideas and, and collect data. And, and then we, we come together and we have these big discussions of, of what would be best. Um, and so on that front, um, that's all taken care of there. I've actually been um, doing my own programming um, since last year, the start of last year, um, but I have um, some advisors, some, some very wise advisors that I call on. So one of them um, is Nathan Baxter, um, who those that are interested in the bench press and powerlifting Australia would recognise that name as... Um, the first person in the Southern Hemisphere to bench press 700 pounds. Um, And so having someone like that um, to be able to bounce ideas off and just kind of um, come to him with an idea and say, this is what I'm lacking. This is what I think I need to be doing to make up for that. Um, Do you agree with this? Um, Do you have a better idea of how I can achieve this thing that I'm, I'm currently trying to work on. Um, and then there is also Simon Bergner, who is the, um, the coach for the Australian parapala team, um, who came on, um, I think probably about five years ago now. So just before, just in the run up to the last Commonwealth games on the gold coast, um, Simon's been involved in the program. Um, he, he coaches Harney as well. And so he's, um coached Honey to a bronze medal at Commonwealth Games. He's he's very knowledgeable. Um started out just as a powerlifting coach um and a powerlifting competitor himself, but um ever since joining the program has just done everything within his power to to learn what we do specifically, um how he can help out people with disabilities in the gym, how he can modify exercises um, he, he has just been an absolute breath of fresh air in the program, and um, the program as a whole would would not be where it is um, would would not have two bronze medalists at Commonwealth Games w- without Simon. Um, and so, those are those are my main technical team that I get to work with, um, and then I just have um, like people supporting me. So my partner Shauna. Um, is always um, cheering me on. She's my biggest cheerleader. Um, whenever, whenever I come home from a competition and, and I'm disappointed in in where I've ended up, um, she's always the first one to to sit me down, um, look me in the eye, and just go through and be like, "No, you need to understand. Yes, I, I get you didn't do what you wanted to do, but you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this, and you didn't think you could do that." and you've just done all of these things in one go, like, yes, I understand you need to get better. There is a, there is an end game, but you need to take stock and you need to be thankful and you need to be grateful and you need to be proud about what you have done now. Um, and and then we'll, we'll worry about getting stronger.
1: Uh, it sounds like, though, Ben, you've, you've got a real good in there in that she keeps you grounded and uh, also helps boost you when you need it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so between um, Shauna and my brother, my brother also is uh, a huge fan of mine, and he's always there for um, my heavy training sessions um, to make sure I don't drop a barbell on my face. So yes, but between them both, um, pumping me up and then also kind of reminding that um, what I have been able to achieve—it's not—it's not something that everybody gets to achieve, and, and so I do need to take stock on occasion, and um, and, and recognise that and be thankful for that. So, yeah, they're, they're both very fantastic.
1: Now, it is fantastic that you are now a Commonwealth Games bronze medalist, and uh, we're going to be watching with great interest to hopefully see you qualify for Paris, because, as you know, we've been following your story now since the very beginning, and uh, it would yeah. be great to see you go all the way.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I, I, I can't wait to get to go, and then hopefully get to come back on and, and tell you guys about it.
1: No, definitely we'll have you back for that. Uh, And uh, look, congratulations. Uh, It's just reward for a lot of hard work and uh, really great to have you on the show again.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for having me back. It's been fantastic. Hi, I'm Seth Coe and you're listening to Not the Footy Show.
1: Well, that was Ben Wright, the powerlifter, and hopefully you found that as fascinating as we did. Uh, I know Ben has been on the show before, and I think John, the big thing I'm really pleased about is he's justified his argument that they should never have cut his funding, and the fact that he's done it the hard way with those great companies that he mentioned uh, in the interview, and he's you know now at the top of his game, and I think that's fantastic.
2: Oh, it shows you the folly of the current funding model
1: yeah which um, we bagged at the time and
2: also says something interesting about um about the need for funding through government agencies and it's it's how athletes used to do it yeah for all sports very true know, <laughs> very it's, true it's it's old school just do the hard work follow your dream and it will happen
1: but the interesting thing as well I thought we'd been because I, I was saying you know obviously at the beginning of the interview how you know He's missed out of his opportunity to be on the podium. But as he said there, they've now got to get all the medals back. They've got to get the gold medal back off the Indian guy and give it to the next guy. And then they've got to get the bronze one back off the man in Scotland so that he can have the silver medal, et cetera.
2: But and then they can do the cross to Channel 7.
1: And then, uh-huh. then they'll come. But it's nice that he's going to have a ceremony here, whereas he said, in a way, it'll be a lot better because he can have all the people that supported him, yeah, all his family and all his friends, and it can be a special event in front of all those that have supported him, whereas, you know, they wouldn't have been at the Games. And I hadn't thought about that, but when you think about it, in a way, that's actually really nice.
2: Well, hopefully, uh, the Perth media will um, get behind it and forget about their fixation with Instagram stars for half a second and go and celebrate someone doing some positive and good in the world.
1: Well, if he puts it on Twitter, the chances are they'll run it in a story because they love quoting other people's Twitter accounts. Oh,
2: yeah, they do indeed. Now, your turn.
1: Okay, I had a very interesting conversation with somebody in... You
2: only have interesting I, I do,
1: actually. A lot of people come and basically, I suppose, pitch stuff to me or whatever or share their gripes with me. On a sporting thing i don 't know
2: There's what aunt, aunt I must be, yeah,
1: <laughs> aunt. yeah. Um, but what they were saying was in regards to they were in a national competition, and as we all know here in Australia, the way it usually works is you play round robin and then you go into a final series, usually it's top four teams, some competitions they go more than that and have eight, which is almost half the competition, which you think is a bit of a joke but that's my personal opinion. (laughs) And even in the A-League, they have half the teams make the finals. Um, But anyway, this particular organization was saying to me, they were so pleased one of their teams missed out on the finals because it saved them $80,000 to attend that final series. And I was like, am I hearing this right? (laughs) So is an organization which should be, and I think if you read the constitution, they should be promoting their team, promoting the sport. And usually, John, as we all know, success breeds success uh, in that it gets people enthusiastic, it attracts sponsorship, it gets more people participating, if we're to believe the way sport has worked for probably a 100 years. Um, and so, therefore, they were wanting them to fail to save the money. But then the other thing it made me think is, well, if you're playing in a competition, where it's too costly for you to participate in the finals, is it time that we canned the finals in that particular sport and went, let's just make it a league competition? Because clearly teams are struggling to be able to afford to attend the finals. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see John's face during that.
2: can, Can I say... You can say whatever That's, you like. That is possibly the dumbest thing you've ever proposed <laughs> on this podcast. I know you don't seriously man. I'm I'm assuming. I'm you're throwing just, that out there, yeah. Exactly. There. I know
1: what I believe. Yep. Okay.
2: Here's a concept. We ask and expect the players to put in their all and to be continually improving and and getting better. How we about do? The people that are charged with making sure we've got enough money to continue in these competitions do the same. That would be a nice idea, actually. Honestly... Look, I 100% I, I, agree with you. Yeah. The, the idea that a sports administrator would claim that they're better off saving $80,000 by not playing in the finals is just staggeringly stupid naive and shows up that there's people that are running sports that shouldn't be running sports
1: but but the question it actually raised for me was so you knew that you were competing in this competition surely you budget accordingly for all eventualities you budget that you are to me when you're going into it you are thinking we're going to make the grand final so we need a budget as if we're going to make the grand final. So that is how much money we need to bring in to cover all of our costs when we make the grand final. Then if you don't, rather than actually saving 80000 on expenses, you've actually got money in the pot for next year.
2: How much? It, th- this is, for, is that not a fair way they... to This is for one lot of travel and accommodation.
1: I presume so, yeah.
2: And it's a home and away basis, so there'd be...
1: No, no, they're just, I think it's just, uh, they're going to one venue to play the finals. No,
2: no, I meant, the Oh, the competition, yeah, 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 com- yeah. Competition's home and away, so half of your games are going to be away. Yep. And it's, what, a seven team competition or something?
1: If we're talking about the one you think we
2: are. <laughs> anyway, let's call it eight. So half of your games are going to go away. I'm just figuring out why you'd be bloody well playing in the competition to start with. I.e., oh, geez, it's, uh, you can't afford one more weekend away. Essentially, you can't afford to travel once more and play one or maybe two games or whatever the situation is. But that that one block of travel, we've done four blocks of travel, but we can't do that extra one at the end. Or well, they'd
1: rather not. I think they could have found you'd the money.
2: Rather not. You'd rather not. But but the other thing... I don't want... Boys, (laughs) we're not playing finals this year. We'd rather not. We'd rather not. Um, Bit exy. Uh, Give it your all, though. Try really hard. Just not in front of the goals, okay?
1: But the the other thing it throws up... Only lose by one every game. But the other thing it throws up is then surely if money is tight, you would look to make all of those home games cash cows, that they're going to bring you in plenty of money, which in turn means you need to actually promote and market them. I've seen nothing. Oh, nothing.
2: I've seen a few Facebook posts, but that's... But bad. that's
1: not marketing. I'm sorry, that's just... Yeah, there's a little bit... It's a post on Facebook is not marketing. Yeah, It is a, an element of a marketing plan, but it is... If that's your sole marketing, you're never going to succeed.
2: My My gripe is that why isn't the money there? Who's who's running it? And why not think, oh, how do we save costs when we go away? Maybe the players have to start sacrificing a little bit, even though they sacrifice so much already by, you know, we're not going to, we're staying at billets. We're not going to be in a hotel. Your billeting family is going to drop you off yep. at the game every day. Maybe... We have they have that uh, they have to start getting certainly far at, more at underage
1: tournaments. To me, that is what should happen.
2: What well, Used to happen,
1: yeah. And it, why it shouldn't happen anymore is beyond me.
2: I know because the coaches have got to be in control. actually. we know this. They've got to stop the game every 15 minutes so they can go and make sure the little pedals are doing exactly <laughs> what they want.
1: But I would have thought as a coach you'd like not having the responsibility of having the players around you or and you they can they actually have a so, beer in or, an evening.
2: Or are they just so paranoid that these people are going to run a mark? Yeah. I don't
1: know. I don't know. It's a very different world to the one you and I grew
2: up in. Yeah, but still then they, they follow a single model and they oh, it's not working. We'll do it again. Oh,
1: anyway. Yeah, look. It. I just thought it was a rather strange one.
2: A couple of quick things before we go. Second tier. A- A-League.
1: Uh A League. Yeah. A-League. <sighs> look, I think no, it's. F-
2: I I commend them for having a crack, but it's fraught with
1: problems. Yeah, look. I, I think the competition, and I know FIFA wanted it uh because they like promotion and relegation. I think football fans across the world like promotion and relegation. Yep. I think Australia, though, is a very different prospect because of the distances involved. And therefore, I'm concerned that, you know, the problem you're going to have is the financial one. I don't know. When you think all the A-League clubs are struggling to make money, how are these clubs going to make money? The only difference is a lot of them do still own their own grounds. So they actually will save a bit of money there. But we'll see. Hopefully it works for the game.
2: I mean, and it's a long-term project. It's not going to be next year. You know, in two years time, we'll be saying, wow, isn't this fantastic? And you know, I understand why there's no South Australian team. There's no West Australian team. team. I I, I get that. Um, but how they implement it and is there going to be promotion and relegation from the second tier? That up and, well, this and below. Was, this oh, was, like, I think, that, well, That's when it starts getting. I did read really something on social media,
1: although I've seen that the CEO is claiming that um, it was not factually true. I'll let people decide. But there was a something that was a letter that was posted on, or of um, something that was printed that looked like it was official from Queensland Football, saying that if a team went from Queensland into this second tier. And then they were relegated, they would have to start at the bottom of Queensland football again and would not come straight back into the top tier, uh, and there was a lot of backlash against that, so yeah, I don't know, and I mean just again I think
2: that's just someone marking their ground, isn't it yeah
1: I mean, I think, and talking about marking their ground, there's a few people that have been puffing their chest out saying how they've been involved in this, and they've done wonderful things in this. It's like, just get back in your box, it hasn't started yet. Let's see if it's a success before you start blowing your own trumpets.
2: Fair enough. And uh, financial fair play.
1: In the UK? Yeah. Oh, look, uh, as a club that got smashed, <laughs> I have to say I don't have a great deal of sympathy <laughs> because <laughs> we got screwed, my club that I support, Swindon Town. We got relegated two divisions, uh, then got re-promoted when we took it to court up to the division that we'd just been promoted. What did out. you get?
2: What did you get? Demoted
1: for? Um, it, the- financial irregularities was the sort of, in brackets, what it was called. So
2: brown paper bags? Or-
1: no, what it was we did was we um, signed players saying that we were going to pay them this because the club we were buying them from wanted a higher uh, transfer fee. And then we were going, well, we're only paying them this. Then when it went to the tribunal, the tribunal saw the contract and saw... Oh, yeah, they're asking this, but they're only paying them this, so then the transfer fee was reduced. So we didn't have to pay so much when we bought them. But what the club was then doing was paying for their wedding, paying for other things that were... Sort of to top up their salary. So w- the club was guilty. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And two people within the club were sent. Not orphans though. No, they're t- guilty. Yeah. But yeah. two, yeah. of, two of the officials at the club went to prison for it. So I mean that. Okay. Whereas if you look at the other clubs that have been caught so far, nobody's gone to prison that I'm aware of in the UK. Now Tottenham Hotspur were, were done for far greater number of offences than we were. And they got kicked out of the FA Cup. They got deductive points and fined. But then they were able to buy back their points because they had a big, rich owner. Um, and how do you
2: mean buy back points? Well,
1: they they contested it and got their points back. Um, that was I forget how the whole ramifications of that. So look, I have no sympathy, and I, I think you know that the stupidness though is had. Everton, for example, gone into receivership, they would have only been deducted five points, not the eleven points. So you go, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> So in other words, you're encouraging them to claim that they are in receivership rather than what's happened. But the interesting thing is going to be what happens to Chelsea and Manchester City because I'm hearing that Manchester City is going to get relegated and I think Chelsea will as well.
2: On the back of losing points? through, Uh, On the back
1: of their financial irregularities. Whether they just straight relegate them or whether they just deduct their points, I'm not sure how it's going to work. But the word I'm getting out of the UK is that they're going to be gone. Now, if that happens, I wouldn't be surprising as Manchester City's the richest club in the world that they're going to get a court and it's going to be a really long and protracted um So they'll situation. stay in
2: the Premier League until such time as...
1: That's what I would suspect. But, I mean, I'm not an expert on these things.
2: You know what the pity is that they... I mean, most of these clubs tra- trade insolvently anyway. Wouldn't it be just great if, if the normal financial regulators that make sure that businesses aren't doing the wrong thing. Well, the, the
1: first thing they should do, I think, if you want to clean up football, is you actually say, if you are buying a player, you must pay the whole amount now. Rather you than must have, have, the money on yeah, you. you must have the money because that will alleviate a lot of the problems because what you've got is they're, they're, they're paying, they're going, Oh, well, we'll pay you in increments over a period of time. Or then there is, of course, a percentage. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a percentage contracts. where it has to go back to the previous club who's got 10% of any on sale thing. If you clean that right up and make it that literally, because that would benefit the smaller clubs. If you have to pay in full at that point in time, the smaller club will get all that money that they get for having had the player on their books straight away, because this is one of the things that happened in COVID, and I can tell you now that Scottish clubs were buying a lot of Belgian players, and they were buying Belgian players because Belgian players were cheaper than a lot of the others. So they were buying them for around a million, just under a million, eight hundred thousand. Then because of COVID they suddenly now, they've gone to the Belgian Football Federation and said, we can't afford to pay that anymore in one lump sum. We want to pay in two increments. And that's really screwed up the economics now of the Belgian League. So these things have an impact down the the track. And I think really what they need to do is come right back and say, if you haven't got the money, you can't pay.
2: Gee, it's a harsh world, that is. I'm just I'm listening to you talk about that and that club gets 10% and uh, the way the whole player transfer market moves... They're lucky they're footballers. Yeah. We think it's fine as footballers, because they're footballers and this is alright. The if they were dishwashers we'd be calling this slavery. Oh yeah. Some people are on
1: the fence, they think it's all over. See ya. We'll be back next week.